welcome to another episode of Downton Gabby, in which we are discussing the series finale of Downton Abbey, which we may or may not still be in slight denial about. But I think whether or not we are ready to admit the end, we were very happy with how things turned out, mostly. Uh, I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. I'm Shannon in Oakland. And I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. And I'm heartbroken. I am too. <laughs> All right. Well, before you dry your tears, give us a call and tell us your favorite moments, your final burning questions. We want to hear from you, and we're going to feature you on our Lada Life After Down Abbey podcast that we are recording next week. So if you want, give us a call at, Therese, say that number. 609-59-GABBY. 609-59-GABBY. Really excited to hear what else people have to say now that we've all seen the finale, and we have to figure out how to move on with our lives. I need, like, a 12-step program of, like, how can I move forward not worrying about Edith because she's going to be all right. She is going to be all right. I just have to say before we talk about Edith that every time somebody said, Edith, you're going to be happy now. Edith, you have a wonderful life ahead of you. I was yelling out, bad harvest, bad harvest, because, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just, like... That's just too tempting for the evil eye. I mean, there was part of me that was waiting for, like, a meteor to hit the church or something. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, of course, Julian had to have one final obstacle, and it came in the form of the mother-in-law from hell. What was up with Bertie's mom? How can she be so high and mighty when her son was previously the agent? But that's exactly why she's acting so high and mighty, because, you know, she... She really was not important, and suddenly she's she's the hostess of Brancaster Castle. So I don't know. I think that's part of it. But you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna offer the opinion that I don't think she's that awful. I don't. I mean, she wasn't, but she because she went through the quickest 180 a character's ever gone through on this show. <laughs> okay, she had to stick up her ass. Yes, and she's sort of. She's trying to figure out how, what the right way is to run Brancaster. But I think that after doing all the predictable reactions, like calling Edith damaged goods, thank you very much. Yikes. Um, you know, I think she prevails. I think she prevails because she gets backed into a corner. And so she's like, okay, I guess I'll just say it's fine because I don't want to lose my son. Because if I lose my son, then I lose my fancy lifestyle. <laughs> You guys are the worst. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just I just have a little bit of a tick for, like, anybody who, like, just peppers the word morality through their speech. Like, I just mm-hmm. don't like it. Well, she hated that that guy was gay in Tangiers. Oh, oh my God. So sorry yes. he had a fabulous life while you're sitting around complaining about everything. Yeah, I want to go hang out with the gay guy in Tangiers. But he had a blast. We thought we were the only ones that had figured that out, by the way. About Peter's lifestyle, but apparently everybody knew about it. They just don't talk about it. An open secret, yes. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows what Tangiers is code for. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The storyline was interesting to me in that I've I've recently started rewatching season one, and I feel like there are a lot of parallels through this season to 
themes in season one, and she was just basically like the anti-Isabel mm. as far as right. yeah. you know, how to act when you all of a sudden have this kind of good fortune come along. Well, it's so mm-hmm. interesting because the opening scene when they're walking and talking and, you know, Edith's talking about taking Marigold to London... And then um, Isabel's like, oh, don't you have to check in with anyone in her family? And it was like, oh, my God, Isabel doesn't know that Marigold is Edith's daughter when Isabel is the most progressive person in this entire (laughs) family. That's so weird. Yeah, that was shocking to me. I did love Edith's math she was doing about how everybody must know, you know, (laughs) even Mrs. Patmore must know by now through the grapevine. Poor Edith. It's true. But, you know, at the beginning of this show, as much as I wanted her to get back together with Bertie, and as sure as I was that that would happen, I sort of liked the idea of her moving to London permanently and taking Meyer Gold and entertaining. I think they'll still split their time in London and Brancaster Castle. And I just loved their scene at dinner when he is in tears, you know, that he almost ruined it. And it was just, he is such a great actor and they are so wonderful together. And I love that they didn't just gloss it over like they did with his mother's storyline, but they really dug deep and, and, and took us there to the heart wrenching moments before they gave us the joy. Yeah. He plays on the verge of tears better than anyone I've ever seen. I I'm just so happy for Edith and I, you know, Therese, you wrote this in our notes, and I think this is true. I think this story is about Edith. I think this is her story. This, she had the biggest arc. It's her happy ending that we end with. Downton Abbey is about her. And also, she is the one, if this is a story about change, changing times, what the future brings, she's by far the person who has traveled the furthest into the future and how she lives her life now. She's so far ahead of everyone else. And I think that's also a symbol of that forward motion and the inexorable, you know, change that that's coming and has come. Yeah. She has her own job. She's fallen in love. She's had a baby out of wedlock. (laughs) She's now fallen in love again. She has a bachelor pad in London. She entertains. Who's she entertaining when she says I'm entertaining? Oh, it just they're, they're just trolling me. All these off-screen friends. She's entertaining <laughs> dazzling literary elite. You know who it is. It's probably just Spratt slash Cassandra. No, <laughs> no it's, it's fucking Virginia Woolf and, and her sister Vanessa Bell and the whole gang. They're all there at her apartment all the time. It's her right. squad and we never get to see it. <laughs> Before we wrap up talking about Edith, I just want to say how lovely it was to feel like Robert finally understood her in some way. I don't really know why marrying up was the thing that Robert needed to all of a sudden see uh, Edith in clearer eyes. But all the nice things he was saying to her about her being, you know, strong and how proud he is. It was just wonderful. You know, last uh, in the last episode, he was talking about her spinsterhood because I guess Bertie had just broken up with her. And he said that she would be one of the interesting women of London society or something like that, which was a real acknowledgement that she had value on her own and in her career without being attached to someone. And I thought that was a really striking comment. But of course, now that she's a marchioness, he's like over the moon, so... 
Well, but this it also goes hand in hand with him finally figuring out that just because Cora has a life outside of him that it doesn't like mean that the sky is falling. You know, it was kind of, it was kind of Robert's episode to realize that women are people too. Well, <laughs> yeah. I want to give him props because I think he's encouraged the growth of many feminist women. Cora, you know, his daughters, Rose, and he's let them all grow and encourage that growth to be strong and independent and follow whatever their passions are. And I think he gets a little fuddy-duddy about it like he did with Cora, but ultimately he praises their strength. You know, the, the scene where, you know, Birdie's mom is being such a stick in the mud, and then you've got, you're have got you looking at Cora and Lord Grantham, who are totally progressive and loving and, like, very modern parents in that scene. It was like, whoa, Edith has great parents. It's a huge change. I will say, if, I do feel like Robert has come a long way, and this is the first time he sort of uh, did that supportive work without, like, a harumph at the end yes. of it. Um but compare the way that they defend Edith in this situation to Cora's reaction to the Turk in season one. Right. I mean, they have come a long way because she basically threw the damaged goods line at Mary back then. Mm-hmm. So everyone's grown a lot, despite whatever we may think about how they're resisting the change of the times. So is the biggest change that everyone's okay with women having sex now? I don't know if they're still okay with it. Like, Carson will allow Anna and her fertility to walk around as this, even though she's got the mark of sex on her through her growing baby bump. Well, he won't allow it if he had any say in it, but he, you know, he has no no say anymore. He has lost his power. Mrs. Hughes is just, like, rolling her eyes yeah. at everything he says, so. You know Carson would have sent her to the moon tent for nine months if he was under <laughs> exactly. any sort of power to do so. <laughs> Exactly. I have an Edith question, though, before we get too off. Um, How do we think that Edith is going to manage this gargantuan estate? Because it's huge and it's going to take a lot of work because neither of them have really any experience with this and run her fabulous London magazine. She's going to build a team of awesome women, her women minions who run the magazine. She's already got one, her lady editor, and running the estate. I did a I did a Google search to see how long it takes to to go from that castle to London because I was curious how long her commute would be and it's about four hours today by train. Okay, that is pretty far. She's definitely going to need a team. I don't know, Marigold's going to have to really rise to the challenge. <laughs> Marigold, yes, um, the Chelsea Clinton of Yorkshire. Um, uh, yeah, I'm just wondering. I mean, nobody nobody really talks about it. I guess it's been set up so that her lady editor is so competent that um, Edith doesn't have to be in London all the time. But she, she genuinely enjoys it, so won't she want to be? I don't think you need to worry about this. I think Edith's got it. She's got it all. She's having mm-hmm. it all? Mm-hmm. all right. She's going to hire somebody to look after the estate, and it's going to be fine. I mean, she's never really shown that much interest in it the way that Mary has mm-hmm. the entire system. Yeah. So I think, yeah, they'll just hire somebody. I think they're going to be just fine. And I think let's get, let them get through the honeymoon before we start bombarding them with these tough questions. Therese, okay? They've been- yeah, let's let Edith get laid for the second time in her life <laughs> and hopefully not get knocked up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, at least this time it'll be okay. It's interesting that in the finale, nobody mentioned Sybil. 
Well, they did a lot of Sybil stuff last episode. Yeah, there's been a lot of Sybil and Matthew lately. I do think it was kind of weird, but maybe it was just because it was such the happy vibe. But there is, like, a weird line when um, Cora and Robert are like, well, we've got the last one married off. And I'm like, one of your kids is dead. <laughs> That's a really weird thing to say. It's not an accomplishment. I, I just think that they wanted to focus on moving forward in this episode. They've done a lot of looking back. True. And this episode is about looking forward and moving forward, despite every, whatever Granny wants. But and I, and I think that they just did all of that other business already. Yeah, that's a good point. I was I didn't I didn't miss her in this in this episode. Uh, maybe it's because I'm seeing so many montages of of Sybil in her harem pants, you know, before and after the show that like I feel like Sybil's in the show. Definitely. Well, we saw Sibby, and then we saw you know Daisy get Sibby's haircut. So you know, <laughs> Sybil lives on. This storyline. What happened to the Daisy who was going to take her exams and start a revolution? Like, why are we talking about a haircut? Yeah, that was really weird. Like, Daisy's story ends, like, not with her changing the world, but with her getting a haircut and making eyes at Andy. Like, that's her resolution. So, is she the worst written character of the main bunch Oh, man. Aside from, from Anna and Bates. But at least Anna and Bates have some consistency in their horrible personalities. Daisy's just, like, all over the place. Yeah. I mean, it, it was really weird. Like, this is... I mean, I, I feel like this entire episode was about getting heterosexual couples together. Yep. Like, that's like the whole the whole point of this is that everyone gets a partner, and you get a wedding, and you get a wedding, and you get a wedding. And... And the last shot we get of Thomas is him, like, pouring wine for people and being super happy about it. Mm -hmm. Ugh. (laughs) Between Thomas' storyline about how he's going to be a different person, a.k.a. go back in the closet, and then Mm -hmm. when Andy asks Miss Patmore, like, is she into men? And she's like, what are you implying? Like, there's just, like, a kind of bit of homophobia going on, and it's like, really, Julian? We don't need that. We know it is of the times, but, like... Let's show a glimmer of how people are opening up to other ways of living that isn't just a penis and a vagina getting married. But also, you know, people giving Thomas the advice of, you know, try to be a different person and things like that. And I found that really disturbing. Like, it's not Thomas who has to be a different person. It's society that needs to be a different society. Well, I think they were saying, don't be a dick. Which he has been a day. No, the other thing was, I couldn't, I was so mad about it, I couldn't even formulate a tweet. Sweet face little Anna being like, try to be a little kinder to people. What the fuck has he been trying to do all season and you guys have rejected every overture he's ever made? That's true. He already did change and you guys are the ones who don't want to accept it. Good point. I think that's exactly right. And... You know, it was so sad seeing him in this horrible, empty house with this old couple doesn't even want to eat cheese, you know? I mean, it's just like, oh, They didn't God. even want cheese. Oh, God. I mean, I ask you. I know. I was really feeling like he was going to shoot himself in the other hand just to get out of there just somehow. Just to get out. Uh, just whoever comes in to Downton to replace Molesley when he goes off to his schoolmaster's cottage... It better be a hot gay ballot. That's all I'm cutting. From Tangier. <laughs> yes. 
No, when Thomas is working at that place, it's like those horrible shifts when you're a waiter and it's like Sunday night and there's one person that comes in and you're just there endlessly waiting for your shift to end. But that's like, that would be the rest of his life. He doesn't even have an iPhone to look at. Yeah, he doesn't even have an iPhone. I know, it's terrible. I mean, I... They were telegraphing the whole Barrow becomes the butler at Downton for most of the episode, um, but I'm, I'm still a little dreading it. No, that's not a that's not a happy ending. The same way that everybody else got a happy ending. No, it's just no. nice. At least it's not going to be horrible. At least he can feel his sense of home. But I, it just was fucking small potatoes after all that. And there was a really good interview with Julian Fellows that I read on Deadline today. And oh, he I read was that. talking about Thomas and talking about, you know, how he was proud of the way that people had had sympathy for him, even when he was doing all these bad things, because, you know, people recognized how, how hard it must have been to be in his position, to be dealing with a secret identity and everything. But I was like, how do you understand these things surface level? And then you're like, not actually giving anything to that character to honor what you just said. Right. It, he's just talking about it and not showing it on the screen. You know, have, have we had, like, something really real for Thomas since he had his friendship with Sybil? I, I don't even know. His friendship with Sybil and his friendship with that soldier who had been blinded mm. and mm. Uh, and ended up killing himself yeah. in the hospital. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the last, like, decent relationship he was given of any kind and after that he just became creepy predator i think him and daisy are some of the worst written characters on the show mainly because i think julian he showed us glimpses of just what deep complex beautiful characters they could be and then he pushes them back into character and makes them do these decisions that don't make any sense and that's just kind of unforgivable as a viewer. It's like, don't show me what this character could be and then push them back into a two-dimensional character of what they could be. There's also this weird anachronism that's been kind of bugging me for a while this season. I mean, the the, the best trait, it seems, about Thomas is how well he gets along with the kids. Right. And his relationship with Master George. And I just feel like if you employ a man who you know is gay... I mean, even today in the U.S., there are many places in the U.S. that would not want a gay man spending all day with your kids. Right. And even today in the U.S., straight men get treated weird if they're, like, with their own kid at the playground. (laughs) Yeah. So this is some weird sort of anachronistic wishful thinking in this storyline. Like, it's charming. I think it's cute. I like those kids. I know you guys hate the kids, but I like the kids. Those kids are dead. Those kids are dead. And they are haunting that Downton Abbey. And they're going to come back and kill everyone in their sleep. And that is the sequel. So, yeah, I know you don't like the kids. Creepiest kids. <laughs> but, but yeah, that, that's been sort of bothering me. Because I'm watching it and I'm like, uh, not buying it. Or, you know, if we have British listeners and you think that that was a completely different situation over there, you know, tweet us and let us know. But another weird... Weird storyline. We know that Julian uses quote unquote historical accuracy just as he feels like it. <laughs> so that's okay. <laughs> it is very cute when he's with the kids. So it's adorable. I'll take that one little bit of humanity that I'm that I'm getting. Those 
If I can see Rob James Collier actually smile once in an episode, I'll take it. Apparently, the hug that Sibby gave him was completely unscripted. And if you watch his face when that happens, it, it's, he breaks into this really glowing smile. It's Aww. so funny. And I remember That's watching so it thinking, wow, that is an amazing smile. And knowing that that was a complete surprise <laughs> kind of explains that. I think Thomas is going to be happy, honestly, once Lord Grantham dies and Mary's in charge. Honestly, because Gr- Carson will probably be dead. Lord Grantham will be dead. <laughs> These are the people that don't like him, though, that control mm-hmm. the power. And Mary likes him, and so does Master George. So I think it'll be good for him. Someone on that Deadline article today, one of the commenters was really, really mad that Carson didn't get a more dignified ending. And I was like, oh, wow, this is not one of our listeners. (laughs) (laughs) This person is like, Carson deserved better with like 17 exclamation points. (laughs) You know what? He's been such a dick this whole season (laughs) to Mrs. Hughes, to Thomas, to Mosley. I, I was just like, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Yeah, you can work on, you know, some uh, physical therapy with your hands by cooking for your wife. (laughs) That's a great idea. I'm sure kneading dough and making breads would be really good for that. And you know what? She deserves a wonderful muffin to come home to. So why don't you get in the kitchen and make those and get out of here with your condescension. Get out of here. Okay, the scene between him and Lord Grantham where, where he wishes the family a happy new year. So there's this nice exchange between them, and then Lord Grantham extends his hand to shake Carson's hand, which I guess was a really big deal that he did that, and that he also shook hands with Thomas earlier. It was sweet. I like both those scenes. I'm a sucker for this stuff. But overall, I just think Carson's been awful. So what was the moment that you cried the hardest in the finale? Oh, man, there's so many. I didn't cry. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. What is your soul just shriveled up? What? You're a monster. <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> okay. I was watching with my friend who had never seen it before, and I was forcing her to watch, and she just her color commentary with comments like, "Oh, that's the mom from Shaun of the Dead." Oh, this background music sounds like the music from Pocahontas. I mean, like it was really <laughs> killing the vibe. I really teared up when Dickie and Isabel were talking, and he was telling her that he was dying. Oh, I should have liked to have been married to you, but I'm glad yeah. that we're friends again. That was yeah. really such a cute line. Oh, it oh was my God. so great. That was, it was such a great line, and I got really, really weepy. I mean, I'm really invested in their relationship, you guys. Oh, and it was so great when... And when they're like, well, what would you think of that? And he goes, I just think it's marvelous. And it was just like, yeah, punch to the you, Miss Crookshank. Oh, little bitch. bitch face. Yeah, bitch face. She was the worst. It was so great when they came to kidnap him. And then he tells Larry to fuck off and says, I love you, but I've tried and failed to like you. Oh, my God, that was great. I know. These poor kids with their horrible parents, Rose and her mom, Bertie and his mom, and, you know, Dickie and his yeah. shit son. And let me point out that this was yet another misdiagnosis by a Harley Street doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and by Dr. Clarkson. It was like when Matthew got out of his chair, you know? <laughs> like, oh, wait, my spine hasn't been severed. It was just a little 
swollen. You just need to eat a steak, Dickie, and you'll be fine. (laughs) Have some liver, a little spinach and kale, maybe. I mean, I'm really glad that he's fine, but it's just, you know, one of those soap opera conventions that I know this is a soap opera, but it just always makes me laugh. But it is nice. Like the great thing about a soap opera storyline like that is that the you the other characters get to sort of stare this crazy situation in the face and then react to it, right? So like Isabel realizes like, you know, I've been a woman of principle and I've taken that too far. Now I don't even remember what the principle was mm. that kept me from this man that I loved and kept and then we get to see Violet being like pushing up her sleeves and you know, that talk about squad goals, right? Yeah. Right. She was denied entry. <laughs> Good line. Oh, the everything about them bursting in there was just wonderful. It was. It was perfection, really. And I really feel like it was a great capper to the long term storyline of the friendship between Isabel and Violet because I feel like that's the first time that Violet really like went to the mattresses for her the same way that she has for most of the other women on the show. And now it's just like, you know, Granny's fixed everybody's life at some point. Mm -hmm. She can just ride off into the sunset and be happy with what she's leaving behind. She's going to get that weekend. First, she has to write her memoirs. I insist. You only want the Prince Karagin years. Apparently, there's much more than the Prince Karagin years, judging by her answer to Isabel. So I really think that the Dowager Countess needs to write a Mm tell-all to be published after her death. Now that she's read Spratt's writing, maybe she can dictate (laughs) things to him. Or he could be the ghostwriter. Jinx. I have a technical question. So did Dickie and Isabel get married offstage? They did. They had the wedding license and the bishop literally outside waiting for them to rescue Dickie. <laughs> He's still wearing his, like, plaid robe. Yes. Easy he access. Got in his robe. <laughs> well, they did look like they had a bit of a glow at Edith's wedding. I was like, they've been boning. Of course you yeah, think Yeah, he that. couldn't come to dinner because he's already overtired. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, one of the other couples that's hinted at getting together which we can hope means the end to Mrs. Patmore's V-card. Mr. Mason showing up in the kitchen again. Oh, man. I did not need to see that. I'm just not, I'm not a fan of this relationship at all. But I know that Mrs. Patmore, like, is seriously, seriously in need of something. She is so obsessed with Mrs. Hughes' sex life. It's not even funny. <laughs> yeah, she does, she's only going to use him for sex. Look, she's got everything else she needs. She just needs a dick. And he will be just fine at that. The mystery of life. Right. So cheers to Mrs. Patmore learning about the meaning of life and losing her V-card. I just had a thought. How is Carson's new disease going to affect his and Mrs. Hughes's intimate life? Oh, I doubt he's putting his finger on her at all. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, like... That would be great, built-in vibrator. Yeah, it's, it'd probably be better, but, you know, he probably is the type who has to, like, take a shower before and after and stuff. Okay, I have a technical note about Carson, by the way, that I didn't mention earlier. Um, at first, I thought he had Parkinson's disease, you know, because of the shaky hand. It turns out that Julian Fellows suffers from something called essential tremor, and I think that he gave Carson his disease, Do you think that he thinks of himself as Carson? 
Yeah. I mean, the obsession with the More grapefruit spoons. I think so. But do you really think he thinks of himself as Carson? I mean, he is a lord and all that. Yes, but Carson is also a lord of the manor. <laughs> you know, he's in charge. He holds the values for everyone. So, yeah, I do think that um, Julian identifies with Carson and has given Carson his own malady. Which is not way, way less uh, serious than Parkinson's, by the way. Apparently comes and goes. I was shocked to hear that Carson gets some type of pension. I thought there was no type of retirement plan in Servant C. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Crawleys aren't really by the book in their like weird attachment to their servants, right? Yeah. Except for there was like some maid I'd never seen before sitting at the table down there, too. And I was like, okay. Who are these just random maids walking by? The townie maids or whatever. <laughs> yeah, they're the townies. They're the ones that live in the village. Well, and there was that passing comment when they were talking about um, the maids of yore, you know, that they wouldn't, the lady maids, ladies maids would never be married. And it was like, God, did they, people just had to be married to their service, you know? Oh, yeah, totally. Horrible. Ab- yeah, it's it's a very new thing that all these servants are getting married to each other. That is really unusual. Can't always count on a limping, dashing man to show up and sweep you <laughs> off your feet. I mean, the the Crawleys have some inexhaustible source of cottages on their land. Oh my God, there's cottages for everyone. Cottages for everyone. Like, you get a cottage. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, everyone gets a cottage, so... I feel very happy about Mosley getting his cottage. I know, I'm happy for Mosley, too. <laughs> Did you see that look on his face when, when the schoolmaster's telling him all of this, and he's like, what are you saying? Are you speaking English? I don't understand. Absolutely baffled by his good fortune. And then later, Baxter's like, no, we won't lose touch. And I was like, yeah, boy, you got your own place now. Like, she's gonna come <laughs> visit you. Yeah, Netflix and chill, dude. The wheels are turning in her head. Yeah, absolutely. Just like when you're in your early 20s and, like, the dude who didn't have a roommate was always the one who could get laid. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's you That's you now, Mosley. <laughs> yeah. You don't even need to put the scrunchie on the door. You're good. <laughs> I felt like I've decided not to go see Coyle as being code for, I'm yours, tell me what time I should be there tonight. Mosley's not going to pick up on that. No, no. She just needs to show up in a trench coat and nothing else. And that'll be perfect. No, eventually Baxter's going to stroll back into the manor in her black dress. And there's going to be Mosley's chalk fingerprints on her ass. Everyone's going to (laughs) know. Oh, the old chalk finger ass, huh? Seen that move before. I was interested in the fact that Mosley... Like like a woman who's just been asked to to get married, he had to like think about that offer. You know, he's like, well, let me think about that. Let me ask Carson what he thinks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Carson's a font of great advice all oh, the time. Man. Let's definitely ask him. But but I did also wonder, in all fairness to Mosley, I wonder if you know, being in service is in some ways uh, a very safe place. You know, you know yeah. what you have to do. You have these people around you supporting you. Everything is familiar. To completely leave something they he's been doing it all his life. He's in his fifties now, so to mm-hmm. leave that to live on his own, which he's also never done, and to teach school full time. This is a huge, huge change for someone of his age and his his experience. 
I mean, it's yeah, great. Yeah, especially considering that he's made, like, his true friends at Downton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but all that being said, really, would you go to Carson for advice who's never switched jobs? I mean, wasn't he, like, born at Downton Abbey? I mean, I feel like that man has he never... was born on a... the stage, Shannon. <laughs> he was born on the stage, and then he quickly exited stage left and ended up in the drawing room of Downton. Look, everyone goes to Carson for advice. I don't know why, but they do. But if but if we'd know, we'd really understand, right? Right, right, right. Um, by the way, I think that is my favorite thing from the entire series is that line. I can't tell you, but if you knew, you would understand. Or if you knew, you would agree with me. <laughs> it's in every episode. So it's in it's every episode. It's like the greatest line ever written. The greatest, like, plot fixer. Like, you got a plot that you can't quite manage? Use that line. <laughs> hmm. 90% of the show would fall apart if characters didn't fall for that. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. One of my other favorite lines from this episode was Rose telling Anna, oh, it's so great after they're born. It just gets so much better. And I'm like, yeah, for you, you give them to a wet nurse and a nanny, and you only have to see them once a year. Anna's got to raise the damn thing. Yeah, this baby's just going to be breathing in shoe varnish in the boot room for (laughs) the rest of the time. Strapped to Anna's chest while she's polishing Lady Mary's shoes. Yeah. Yeah, she's not going to get a break. No. She's going to grow up in the nursery, that, that kid, that boy. It's a boy. They're had, they had a son. I don't know if you got it. No, Bates had a son. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then he remembered that Anna had something to do with it, too. <laughs> he was so pleased with himself. Well, and it was kind of like rubbing it in the Crawley's face with three girls, and the whole show started with the problem of who to inherit. Because the male relative died on the Titanic. It was like, come on, dude. Be a little sensitive. I didn't I didn't think of that as a dig, but that is pretty funny. It's like, I may be your servant, but I can have sons. Yeah, I Lady Mary was super cool about Anna, you know, jizzing on her floor. And she's like, Here, <laughs> put on my put on my nightgown, get in my yeah. bed, put your baby juices all over it. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not really gonna offer up my bed. That's kind of gross. Yeah, but when she was like, oh, um, when Mary was like, oh, stay as long as you want. We're going to go have champagne. The look in her eyes was, don't worry, we're going to burn the mattress anyway. <laughs> so. I, I thought that it was, there was a nice subtle thing happening where, where Anna's water breaks and then Mary is dressing or undressing Anna. Yeah. No, that was that a nice role reversal. And I think yeah. Anna's the only woman she's ever loved. She doesn't like women very much. She loved Sybil. Yeah, yeah. She loved Sybil. Yeah, but she's dead. It's easier to love someone who's dead. I mean, Tom is her best friend, and she's always liked men more. She barely gets along with her mom, sometimes with Granny. Oh, but what about her friend that she went on that sketching trip? Oh, never mind. So, what did you all think about the final moments? I was teary-eyed. I thought it was great. I know. I, the final moments honestly didn't, like, I didn't feel super attached to them i thought it was i thought the last scenes were super cheesy by the way actually i hate it i started laughing out loud when they started singing oh. Lang Syne. i know Brittany. i think you're gonna feel different when you watch it by yourself though 
I did watch it by myself the first time I watched it. Oh. This last night was the second time I watched it. Oh. And I thought the singing old anxiety was god awful. I thought oh it was my really god. stupid. I loved it. You know, I gave myself over to it. I just said, fine, Julian, you've got me. Take me where you want to take me with this. And I was all teary eyed and no. everyone kissing. Right. Well, we don't need to talk about my like black heart. It's fine. You have a black heart. Yeah. I mean, I would have made fun of, you know, this isn't like the scene in The Hobbit, you know, where they're singing for, I don't know, half the movie or something. I thought this was really touching. You didn't think it was awkward when Mrs. Hughes just burst out singing? Because I was like, oh shit, it's like the guy who busts out his guitar at the party. She's yeah, Scottish. She's Scottish. She's allowed to sing that song. Brandy, Brandy, I made out with that guy in high school. The guy who played Crash <laughs> at the party on his acoustic guitar. Yeah. Fucking loved it. Okay, so let's say hypothetically Julian has been listening to our podcast all along and just thinks we're absolutely brilliant in our understanding of Downton Abbey and hires us to write the surprise season seven. What would we like to see happen? Well, we know we're going to have to spend time down at Grease Lightning with Henry and Tom. (laughs) Right, don't drive like my brother. Don't drive like my brother. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I am glad that they ended up having this little cute project together, but when they were talking about it secretly, it really felt like they were talking about, like, a secret rendezvous, and I was like, stop, like, wiggling your eyebrows at Henry, (laughs) It's getting embarrassing, Tom. Man, when he said, you still love cars, I was sure it was code for, you still love me, right? Well, I mean, and, and do you think Mary... Do you think that, that their marriage is going to thrive with Mary being married to a used car salesman? I don't know. Based on her outfits, I think the marriage is going down the drain. I don't know. I thought that white outfit with the brown trim that she wore to Granny's house at the beginning of yeah. the episode, I thought that was very chic and beautiful. That was really smart. That was really smart. And she had a red sleeveless dress that she wore at dinner. One. One good dress. The rest were dowdy central. She's pregnant and she was trying to hide it. Right. Exactly. She's not showing yet. I don't know. I took it as she was wearing loose things because she didn't want to announce the pregnancy before Edith's wedding. That's how I took it. I think yeah, it's, absolutely. you know, getting married and then you're in your sweatpants a lot, which is real. <laughs> well, listen, he's going to be talking about cars and trying to clean the grease out from his nails, and she's going to be talking about pigs and trying to clean the dirt out from hers. So, like, yeah, they're not going to have the, they're not going to be young and sexy forever. I do think they are banging a lot, though, and they have a great sex life, though. I'll say that. I think so, too. I think that she's fine with him becoming a mechanic because their sex life is so good. Yeah. I think she's going to be, like, pregnant every year because they're going to be boning down all the time. So, also, in Season 7, we would have Tom, obviously, dating the editor. I mean, really, I think from where we go from here, it's really the story of the middle class, rising right yeah Mm -hmm. i honestly feel like the editor is too good for him he's become so (laughs) boring he's just like that annoying aunt that just wants everyone to get together and i'm just eavesdropping all the time get your own life well that's what we're talking about shannon come on we want him to get his own life with the lady editor well i think she deserves someone a little bit more intelligent and in the scene than him who's just you know trying to get everyone else together and working on cars just saying well i do think that tom tom will eventually come back to his old ways the further we get towards like world war ii and as like politics become 
you know, more and more fraught, I see him returning back to his revolutionary ways. Okay, well then I could support it. Okay, what else what else is going to happen next season? So Edith is going to be pregnant, of course. I don't know. She Yeah, too many babies. She could have that clever device. She doesn't she, <laughs> that cunning device. That cunning device. Yeah. No, I I do think they're going to be very happy together. They she has to have a baby because they need the heir and the spare and, you know, that's the way it goes. This is entirely too much happiness. Like we need some like misunderstandings, some backstabbing, some death. That's how you make a season of television. I don't the think the Dowager's gonna, gonna make, make it. it. No. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jinx on you. She looked rough this episode. She looked rough. I was worried if she was gonna make it. We so we didn't really mention her her final moment with Cora, but that was very touching, right? I cried a lot at them. I started the tears there and went through the end song. Um, what else is going to happen? Well, is Rose going to move back? Rose likes New York, I think. I don't think she wants to move back. I mean, Rose what Rose did inject a lot of light and it was it did demonstrate that I think it was a mistake to not have her on the show this season. Uh because she's just fun. And I like but... them as a couple and I would have liked to see them more as a couple on screen. Yeah, like how are they going to raise their baby daughter? Are they going to raise her Jewish or not? Yeah. Yeah, that could be really interesting um, to see some of that. Well, I think the most interesting season seven question mark is Daisy. I think they... Daisy leaves the kitchen. She finally joins in with some young people in London. And this is when we can finally get, you know, some more diverse characters. She can make friends with a, a hip crowd. That's what I would have happen. But she's about to move into Mr. Mason's farm. So that's it. That's the end for her. She's never leaving that farm now. Yeah, she's not. This is why this was so disappointing. She is if Andy falls off the roof and dies. Huh? Oh my god. Huh? Andy Andy in a sweaty white t-shirt? Yeah. Interesting. Sort of his, his Mr. Darcy moment, I think. Oh, it was hot. I'd yeah. question everything if I saw that too. Yeah, she she was definitely questioning everything she knew about life, looking at Andy up there on the roof. But I think she feels like now that she's like hot for Andy, the only way she can get him is by moving to Mr. Mason's farm, which is completely unsatisfactory. So I want to rewrite that so that, yeah, she becomes a revolutionary in London. What if the death next season is George? And then everything's up in turmoil uh, again about I who inherits. I thought you said he was already dead. Well, he obviously is, but when everybody... Make up your mind. When everybody <laughs> realizes that he's dead... Then they have to find an even more distant Crawley to haul in. Yeah, and then they bring there. out old bandage face. He's back. <laughs> I mean, it does set up... Some, like, let's say they do a movie, and let's say they do what we really want them to do, which is jump 15 years into the future, into the middle of World War Two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So, Master George is, you know, a teenager, 20, something like that. He'd be like 19, 20, yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure, he'll get a cushy job at headquarters, but still... If he's his father's son, he'll be out in the trenches. Exactly. And that'll be that. I think this could actually happen, though. I mean, this is like a thing. Shows coming back years later. Like, we could have a revival podcast in 15 years for sure. (laughs) That would be so fun. That would be fun. 
I did get very emotional at the end that it's been really so fun and so special sharing this podcast with you guys. Just to get sappy for a second. And just connecting with all of our amazing fans and doing the live tweets. I mean, this has just been such an incredible experience that we met on Twitter. All of our fans we met through social media. And this show has really brought some awesome people together to talk about feminism and chicken broth and <laughs> flower shows and sparkly headbands and a lot of important stuff. <laughs> Dressing for town and country. Yes, comfort and elegance. Comfort and elegance. I wouldn't know anything about birth control in the 1920s if not for you, Teresa. So. That's true. <laughs> yeah, this is my favorite thing that I do in my, in, in my whole professional life. This is my favorite thing by far. It makes me the happiest. Is this professional? Should I put yes. this on my resume? You should definitely. It's on my resume, girls. You should put it on yours. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. It's on the, you it's may on have my... heard my voice. Yes, I'm on Downton, Gabby. My my. Okay, you everybody. Trixiefilms.com, my website. It's on the homepage that I do Downton, Gabby. That is how proud I am of this contract awesome. of ours. So, yeah. And Julian, because I know you are listening. Of course he is. I do love you. And hate you at the same time. It's really, it's really fraught. Sounds like family to me. You guys must be related. But thank you for the show because it really is one of my favorites of all time. And, and, and get Gilded Age done already. I know you're waiting for the green light from the network, but let's get it on the air. We need Gilded Age. Yeah, now. we're so ready for Julian's next project. I know we'll be looking for these actors on what their next projects are going to be. And, you know, we will go on. There will be life after Downton Abbey. There will be life after Downton Abbey. And we're going to keep podcasting and we're going to keep everybody updated on all the news of all the Downton Abbey family for sure. Again, dry your tears. Give us a call at that number. Therese, hit it. 609 Gabby. Leave us a message. We've got some great messages. Don't be shy. Anything you say is going to be awesome because we're all crazy fans. So it's all good. If any of you are feeling shy about what you might say, just call us and tell us. We can't wait to hear. So you have until Friday to call and give us your favorite memories and your burning questions and any comments you have for us. And then we are going to record next weekend and it'll be live the week after. Yeah, we can't wait. So thank you for listening. You will still be able to find us on Twitter at Downton Gabby, on Facebook by searching Downton Gabby, and on Tumblr at downtongabby.tumblr.com. We will be leaving all the old podcasts up until, you know, the internet turns to Skynet and dies. Um, And so you can listen to them at any time. Go back when you... Rewatch the show in three, four, ten years. Days. <laughs> we know you want to. And thank you very much for listening. Stay tuned. I've been waiting for so long. Now I finally found someone to stand by me. We saw the writing on the wall. And we felt this magical fantasy. Now we Cause we seem to understand the urgency
the ends with the odd lang zang. I know I know how to say that. Odd lang zang. Yeah. Odd lang zang. It really got to me. Am I still saying your mom? I think you should say that whole thing again because you sound like you had a stroke in the middle. <laughs> Old Lang Syne. 